Pastor Xavier Ruiz talks about the single most important characteristic of the body of Christ. There is one thing Jesus pointed to be the distinguishing mark of the church. As he said to his disciples in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The lawyer asked Christ one time, which was the greatest of commandments? Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love your neighbor yourself. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Love is probably one of the most misunderstood and misused words of our generation. With it, we can describe a piece of chocolate cake or a favorite baseball team. But that's not the type of love that allows us to reach out to a hurting and dying world. Today, Pastor Xavier describes for us the simple truths of the kind of love it takes to reach out and make a difference. Let's listen. In our first four studies regarding the nature of the church, uh, we have come to understand what the church is, the bride of Christ, Jew and Gentile one, no distinction. There's no preference now before God. We've understood what the priest of the believer means. All are to serve in some capacity according to the gifts God has given to them and according to his calling. He enables us. We've seen what the life source of the church is, the Holy Spirit. It's God's divine bride. And we've seen what the life-transforming twins of the church are, prayer and the word of God. We might label these the doctrinal part of our series on the church, the vertical axis, what God has done for us and to us. Now we want to begin the practical aspect of the series. You might label this the horizontal plane, what we are to do in response to what God has done in us and for us. And this is always the order. God initiates and we respond as the evidence of our sonship to God. There are many things that could identify a Christian as we look to the scriptures. But there was one thing Jesus pointed to be the distinguishing mark of the church. As he said to his disciples in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Agape love. This is the distinguishing mark. So what I want to do is we want to look now at the distinguishing mark of the church, agape love, through a threefold lens. Here's the three hooks you want you to hang your thoughts on. First, the perspective of God's love for the church. Then we'll move on to the principle of God's love for the church, and we'll finish up with the power of God's love for the church. And this will give us a threefold perspective about agape love. Let's begin here with the perspective of God's love for the church. Unlike our English, there are different Greek words for love. The word phileo, Phileo, again, denotes that love of fondness, a mental plain love, a compatibility, affection that is based on a love of similarities, and as I said, compatibilities, likes, dislikes, common grounds. We find this in friendships. We find this in husband and wife also. It covers all grounds, and that's a legitimate uh, love of compatibility and fondness. But this love is what is a starting point for many relationships that will grow 
into a deeper commitment. It begins there. This love is a stepping stone towards the deepest form of love that the Bible teaches, which is here spoken about, agape love. But it's also a stepping stone to the most intimate love, which ends up in sexual love in marriage. Now, God's agape love is also distinct from the word eros, which is the sexual love. It describes the erotic, sensual relationship between a husband and wife in the context of marriage. It is not something that is to be committed by those who are not married. Now all of us, we're in the world, and the world says it's okay. Today, there's no big deal. For you to have sexual relationships with a, with a, a date or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or commit adultery or to live with somebody is like going out for a cup of coffee or eating an ice cream. You say, what's the problem? Because we've moved from a moral society to an amoral society. We've moved from objective truth to subjective truth. We've moved from absolute right and wrong to relativism, where everything is gray. It is a legitimate love, sexual love, between the male and female in the context of marriage. This type of love is legitimate by the very fact that God has created us as sexual beings. Again, legitimate in the context of marriage. It goes back to Genesis. The man and the woman were naked, not ashamed, because God made them male and female, and he made them for the purpose of marriage. Now, often in societies, when they decay so much, that aspect is lost, but our conscience is still true to that. Our fallen mind is still thinking like that. Lust cannot wait for to be satisfied, and once it is, it does not price what it has defiled, but it scorns it. It's the way it is. You only give yourself away once, ladies, and you get to choose who that man's going to be. That is why the scripture says you're not to allow a man to awaken your sexual love until it pleases. In other words, until the honeymoon night. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, 3, 5, 8, 4. It repeats it over and over again. Ladies, the testimony of Solomon's bride was that due to her sexual purity at her honeymoon night, she became in his eyes as one who found peace. Song of Solomon 810. Very important. Again, ladies, the giving of yourself sexually to a man will be either a memory of sorrowful regret or a sweet surrender to your husband. Don't let the moment or pressure or passion be what motivates you and pushes you, but let it be your love for that man and for the man also, for the woman. It goes on both sides. You'll never regret it if you wait. Now, God's agape love is this thing from the Greek word storge. And that is depicted in family love. A father for a son, a son for a father, mother, daughter, so on and so forth in the family. This affection is needed and vital for the family to exist and survive. It, it, the family is the nucleus of society, as we've said often. The word is found in the negative in the New Testament, no family love, depicting the depth of man's depravity and one of the characteristics of the last days in Romans 1.31 and 2 Timothy 3.3. And as we look around the world, we see this truth today. No family love. Mothers kill their children in their womb. Husbands and wives leave each other. 
aren't good parents. Children are disrespectful to parents. And you can keep the list going. Treachery goes on every angle. No family love. God's agape love is God's divine love for sinful man. John 3.16 defines it for us. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So John uses this word which is not found too often and he coins it for us. God's love sacrifices for others. He sacrificed himself for the world, sinners. Agape love gives to others. That's the focus of it. The agape love of God is unconditional and uncost. It initiates. It sees a need. And it attempts to meet it. Agape is unconditional in that God desires nothing from man. From God's perspective, nor seeks to gain anything from man. God loves man as a sinner. And he wants to bless man, but he can't bless him until he acknowledges his sinfulness and repents from it. So therefore, God can bestow his blessing on the repentant sinner. God loves a sinner just as much as when he repents and becomes a saint. The only difference is that as a sinner, God cannot bestow his blessings on him because sin separates him from God. Once the sinner repents, now God can bestow the blessing on the sinner that now has become a saint, his child. You understand? But his love doesn't increase for the, once he becomes a saint. He loves him exactly the same. Listen, he died for him when he was a sinner. Can't get any better than that. You understand? Agape love. Agape is uncost in that there is nothing in man that draws God for good or anything done by man for God to love him. Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. I presume we all qualify. Agape is uncaused in that the very nature of God is said to be love. God is love, even as he is light, eternal life, and spirit through the scriptures, 1 John 4, 7 through 8, 1 John 1, 5, 1 John 5, 11, 20, and many other portions. So God's agape love is based on his perfection and his holiness. It's impeccable, unchargeable. The agape love of God will develop and blossom the three other kinds of love that we've talked about that are distinct from agape love. Rather than abusing and misusing them, it raises them to its full potential level to have them blossom. The phileo love is strengthened and makes the relationship stronger instead of taking advantage of the person. Instead of manipulating the person with their emotional love, I use it to enhance our relationship if I yield to agape love. So the key ingredients is agape love for the other loves to function properly the way God intended it. Without agape love, emotional love will be abused. We work each other. With agape love, the arrows, the sexual love, there's respect. There's an expression of love and commitment and honor in the context of marriage. Apart from agape love, then it seeks out self-satisfaction, be it single or married, doesn't matter. With agape love, the family loves storge will be enhanced to protect and to give witness of God's priorities and care for the family. Without agape love, 
then we say, well, it's my time. I deserve. I'm always last. And your focus is on yourself. So the key to the other loves that are usually abused in our unbelieving days, now that agape love will blossom the other ones to their full potential. So the key is agape love. Only Christians can manifest agape love. The credentials for elders and deacons, as I've told you often, is their family. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. The credential for ministry is your home. Not your education. Not your gifts. But your home. As husband and wife. As Christians, we have the greatest potential to blossom love at every level. By yielding to agape love. We are so privileged. Not abusing or misusing that emotional love, phileo, but blossoming it. To encourage my wife. Protecting her. Not defiling nor abusing the sexual love, eros, but being faithful, being there for her. Not failing in my family love, regardless how difficult it gets, knowing that God has called me to be that head of that home as the man and to be there for my family. You see, agape love will cause all these to blossom and grow and enhance my relationship to Christ, my husband, my wife, my family, my friends. It's a very important love. But agape love is a choice. It doesn't just happen. I have to yield to it. If I don't yield to it, then I can't manifest it. It's not forced upon me. And so this is the perspective of God's love for the church. Now, secondly, we have the principle of God's love for the church. The Lord our God is a source of love. God is the initiator. First John 4 tells us that God first loved us. So he's the initiator. Man is the responder. First John 4, 19, man loves God because he first loved us. So you always initiate, we respond. Jesus in John 13, 35, again, he declared to the disciples they would be known by their love. This is our primary text. Agape love. One for another. We're in the family of God. God's love is based on his holiness. God is love, 1 John 4, 7, and 8 tells us. Now, God's love many times says no. God's love is not permissive as our love. It doesn't allow pressure to make it compromise as we do. God's love is very constant. It doesn't bend. It says no often because it's true love. The church is the channel of love. The purpose of God's love is to impart it to others due to the fact that it is the greatest commandment, as you know. A lawyer asked Christ one time, which was the greatest of the commandments? Matthew 22, 35 through 38. And Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And these two lie the law and the prophets. Just two, because the first tablet is the vertical relationship, my love for God. The second table, the horizontal plane. And these two, the law and the prophets. And so there in Matthew 22, from 35 down to 40, he gives those two, and the one is responsible for the other. The one is the source of the other. It begins with God, and then moves to the 
horizontal level. If I'm not right with God, if I'm not being filled by the love of God, then how can I give what I don't have? It's like the measles. You can't give them unless you have them, right? And so I have to be a channel of God's love. The fruit of the Spirit is the solution to the works of the flesh. It's the fruit of the Spirit, agape love, in Galatians 5.22. Then you have seven manifestations of love, beginning with joy, the rest of verse 22 to 23. And so here we have, once again, the vertical axis. God's love as the source of man who imparts it on the horizontal plane, the fruit of the Spirit to others. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us. It's been given to us in Romans 5.5. So again, we are the recipients. We're a channel so that it not only affects me and it benefits me, but then I'm to impart it to others. The lost world is the recipient of love. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says we're to gather as a church to provoke one another to love and good works that the world may see our love. The people might look and say, look how those Christians love one another. Look what they do for each other. Look how they live. Look how they act. That's what the world's supposed to say. The love of Christ is to constrain our heart to reach the lost, 2 Corinthians 5.14. Having been lost, I know what it is to be lost. Having been forgiven by the love of God, how can I keep that to myself? It should drive me to pull others out of the fire, right? Because I know what it is to live in sin. I know what it is to feel guilty. And having also the knowledge of what it is to be forgiven and what that all entails, how can I not want others to experience the same forgiveness? What is the motivation of that? Agape love. The love of God helps me to love others as myself, as Jesus said in Matthew 22, 39 and 40. The sinful practice is just to love myself. The divine practice is to love others as I love myself. <laughs> Taking that sinful practice as the Apostle Paul says to the husband, to the wife in Ephesians 5. Now I can love others. Because if you get caught up in you, you'll never get off you. <laughs> the whole philosophy in some Christians that teach that, that you first must love yourself before you can love others, are tweaked. That's the gospel from hell. If you have to love yourself before you can love others, you will never be done with yourself. You are high maintenance. It will take all your life and it still won't be enough. The saints are to be instruments of love. In 1 John 4, 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought, duty, to love one another. In 1 John 4, 16, John says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And all these words of, of love are agape. Different forms, but it's still agape. In 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, agape, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in agape. 1 John 4, 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It's common sense. 1 John 4, 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, 
that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, having said all this about love, that doesn't mean that we get along with everybody. What it means is I do everything possible to live peaceably with all men and women. But some people don't want to live peaceably. So I will love them in God's agape love, but I can't bless them with that love because they want nothing to do with me or they are so hostile to me, so I just pray for them. That doesn't mean you open yourself up to some hostility or, or something like that. That's not what it's talking about. In the 1950s, a pastor Kim and his congregation of 27 were discovered in their underground tunnels. The head communist officer prepared to hang them, the children and commanded the parents to deny Christ. The parents um, said to their children, quote, we will see you in heaven. The officer ordered a steamroller and forced the Christians to lie down on the ground then and told them to deny Christ. As the steamroller slowly moved towards them, they were crushed beneath it, beneath it as they were singing. This is what they were singing. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Thee alone I seek, more love to thee. Let sorrow do its works, more love to thee. Then shall my least or my latest breath whisper thy praise. There's love, O Christ, to thee. And that's how they died. These are real people. This is 1950s. It's only 50, 60 years ago. But yet they're in line with the first century witness of martyrs, right? So in other words, Christians never change. The gospel transcends culture. Christians are always Christians. They're consistent according to the scriptures. And those who don't fit consistent with the scripture, either they don't understand the gospel or they're not Christians. One of the two. But Christians who understand the gospel and yield to the gospel are transformed because God's children are always the same. The gospel only makes believers. The Lord our God is the source of agape love then. Many will point to the ability of many like Gandhi, peaceful, nonviolent, as proof that they know God or that they have a love of God. But the ability to be nonviolent or even lay down one's life is no evidence of knowing God or having God's agape love. The only thing that verifies that we know God and that God honors what is done in agape love is if we give witness of doing it through and in the name of Jesus Christ, affirming the revelation of God in the New Testament, the one who will judge us one day. If people lay down their lives in the name of Buddha, God doesn't honor that. If people lay down their lives in the name of Krishna, God doesn't honor that. But if you lay down your life in the name of Jesus Christ, He honors that. Because that's the only name He honors. He's the only God. He's the only Savior. He's the only name. He's the only mediator. He's the only Lamb of God. He's the only King of kings. He's the only Lord of lords. 
that's how you know how God honors your sacrifice because you do it in and through the name of Jesus Christ. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the power of genuine love. And you can request a copy of today's crucial study called The Distinguishing Mark of the Church. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And the message you'll receive will contain the complete and uninterrupted presentation. Now, the title to ask for once again is The Distinguishing Mark of the Church, or simply mention today's date when you write. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Contrary to popular belief, love does require you to say, I'm sorry. Learn more about love and forgiveness when you join Pastor Xavier Reese next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com